Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. Each week I bring you a different topic based on what's going on in the news with interesting guests who can address the topic that I wrote on in my weekly column. This week I wrote on Obama's trip to Alaska and then asked where were the polar bears because the polar bears have become the iconic symbol of global warming. And since Obama's trip was really all about focusing on global warming and trying to draw attention to that as a, as a crisis kind of issue, you would have thought President Obama would have mentioned the polar bears. Now, this was not what I originally intended to write on this week. I was thinking about writing on the fact that a, a federal judge has reversed the fish and wildlife decision on the lesser prairie chicken listing as an endangered species. But I ended up going with this topic for one reason in particular, but several other factors, and our first guest ties into this, is I got a message via Facebook from the producer of the movie Ice Bear, which is on polar bears, and she said, we're doing a crowdfunding thing. Is there any way you can help us with this topic? Well, I'd never done that before, but then on one of the many email lists I get, someone forwarded to me a piece of from Sterling Burnett from the Heartland Institute talking about President Obama's visit to Alaska. And when I saw that, it was kind of like, wow, that's the news hook that I would need to do the polar bear story. Then I got an email from my friend Calvin Beisner with the Cornwall Alliance, and he was in an email to his big list saying, please help J.D. King, the director of this movie Ice Bear, please help him in his Kickstarter campaign. Well, all of those things kind of converged together to push me into doing my column this week on President Obama's visit to Alaska and the story of the supposedly disappearing but really rebounding polar bear population. So with our first guest on America's Voice for Energy today, we're going to talk to Sterling Burnett because he was a big part of why I went with this column, or this topic for this week. So Sterling, thanks for joining me once again. You're becoming kind of a regular here because we address so many of these similar topics. I'm glad to have you with us today. Always good to be on, Maria. I always enjoy being on your show. Thank you so much. So, you know, you wrote about President Obama's visit. You didn't do so much with the polar bears as the direction I went, but you talked about this conference uh, that took place there, I believe, didn't you? And, and the, you know, really what came out of that? Yeah, the Glacier Conference. It was, yes, uh, yes. It was the conference that was scheduled. It was scheduled before Obama went on his trip, and uh, it was of the Arctic Council nations. So that includes countries like the U.S., Canada, uh, the Soviet, well, Russia. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and, and various Scandinavian countries. But it also includes a, a larger group of sort of permanent observer countries like China, India, basically large economic powers that have interest or potential interest in the Arctic region. And this conference was called specifically to, uh, to try and hammer out a joint a joint, uh, a joint memorandum, a joint statement on the need to battle climate change. And uh, this would be sort of a precursor then to Paris. That's, that's right. It's, it's basically Obama's going around the country and around the world on what I call his the world is burning tour. Uh, 
<laughs> and, and on this uh, tour, he's trying to gin up support, more and more uh, government support. And by government, I don't mean his own government because uh, he's already, you know, basically. He's in charge of that. Full overdrive there. Uh, yeah. He's trying to gin up support from other world governments. Now, some governments are already on board, but other governments are reticent or less so. You know, basically, they say, uh, we got to feed our people now, uh, and it doesn't look like the world's going to be that bad off 100 years from now. So, you know, we're going to ignore this or not do so much. And so he's been trying to push for uh, greater, stricter, and more immediate action. When he on his tour, he said, "We've got to act now." You know, he said that I think four times. He said that we, it's, uh, it, it, we've got to act now. Climate change is happening now. Yes. So, uh, so what uh, what this meeting was was to see if they couldn't come up with a joint statement. And you know, the president, everybody else that's there is basically a foreign minister of these countries. The president of the United States actually comes to this conference. And gives a speech saying, you know, we've got to act now. You know, get on board. Join this. So was he successful? You know, well, I guess it depends on how you judge success. He got a lot of media headlines. He, everywhere he goes, he gets media headlines. But if you judge sure. it by uh, actual impact on policy, on, in this case, the joint statement, I'd say, no, it didn't have much impact. Uh, the statement that they came out with, it was a long statement, but I'm going to quote just a bit of it if you don't mind. Sure, we've got time. It says, the foreign ministers affirm, quote, our commitment to take urgent action to slow the pace of warming in the Arctic, unquote. Okay, so these countries have made this commitment. There's just, you know, a little problem here. Three countries, Russia, which, part, which is part of the Arctic Council, China and India, which are permanent observer members of the Arctic Council, they all three opted not to sign the joint commitment. And, you know, if it was just three countries in the world, you, you might think, oh, well, that's not so much. Except they're the three countries that account, themselves alone, account for 40% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. China's the largest emitter. Russia and India are basically in a virtual tie for the fourth largest share of greenhouse gases. I mean, in truth, they are actually uh, third and fourth in a virtual tie for third because the third largest emitter is the European Union as a whole. They don't break out their countries. They just treat it as a whole, and that's in third place. But regardless, 40% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, emissions from the areas that are the fastest growing areas on the planet, China, India, experiencing very rapid growth. So it's not just that they're emitting a lot of greenhouse gases now. They're going to be emitting more greenhouse gases in the future as they continue to grow. And they're not on board. And India has already said it's not going to make emission cuts uh, or commit to emission cuts going into Paris. Yeah, and India has been very uh, vocal and aggressive about we're not we're not that they're not going to play this game, and they've they've kicked Greenpeace out and various things like that. Yeah, well, you know, President Obama sent a, a negotiator there just this week to try and once again get India to come on board. Now, remember, he, he did get China to agree to do something. What he got them to agree to do is that by 2030, they expect their economy will cease growing greenhouse gas emissions. Not that they'll start cutting emissions, but that by 2030, 
they expect to, to cap emissions, that that's where they're going to peak. Well, I don't know whether they'll peak there or not, but a peaking 15 years from now of increased emissions doesn't save the planet if you really believe carbon yeah. dioxide is, is frying the planet. Now, I don't happen to believe that, but Nor do I. if you're Obama and that's what you say you believe, it's not clear to me you got that much out of China. Yeah, I mean, they agreed that, you know, down the road we'll, we'll consider this. I mean, repeatedly what he gets out of China is a way down the road kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it, it basically back in 1996 in, uh, I, I want to say Berlin, but I don't think it was Berlin, but it was a German city they met in, and uh, China said for the purpose of climate change agreements, we will always be considered a, a developing country. I got news. I wish our president said that. I'd, I'd, I'd hate to think that we'd actually peaked and we're no longer developing that, that uh, <laughs> we've we developed out. You know, that's, that's the kind of negotiators I want Americans to be, to put America first, to put our economy first, to put our people first when they're negotiating these things. Instead, we roll over like puppy dogs and want our bellies rubbed for, for destroying our economy. Yeah, and of course we see that this week the focus is on this Iran deal, and we certainly see that, although that's not the topic of our conversation today. We certainly see that, that uh, poor negotiating skills there with this Iran deal. Oh, yeah, no question about it. So, you know, you know, President Obama was in Alaska. His goal was to draw attention to this. You brought out that, you know, out of what was, how many nations were there? Seven nations were there? No, no, no. Seven were the Arctic Council is Canada, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, Russia, Sweden, United States. But there were a dozen other states that have permanent observer status. Okay. All right. China, so India, there were roughly 19 states, and of the 19, the three biggest emitters said, we're not going to play ball. That's right, all except for the U.S. Now, where is the U.S. on CO2 emissions right now? Uh. I'd, I'd be lying if I told you I knew. I, I'm not sure exactly where we are. Okay. I'm certain. I'm certain we're above 2005 levels, which is where we need to be. But well, I, I mean, I I know that we're the only country that has actually met our Kyoto Protocol uh, commitments, not by any sense of uh, trying to reduce emissions per se, but because of uh, the abundance of natural gas uh, that we have in this country. Although, of course, you know, it, I don't know that it really matters where we are on this because we've got a president who's going headlong uh, into this into this commitment. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the president, the blessing of this president is that he has a year and a half left to govern. Yeah. We, we, anything he does, you know, I don't know what's going to come out of Paris. Nobody knows what's going to come out of Paris. But, and, and, and anyone that pretends that they do, you know, is, is just a flim-flam man. But whatever comes out of Paris, I can say with, with some degree of confidence, it won't ever become law in the U.S. The Congress will not pass a treaty. They've already, you know, they, 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 this has come up. We've had laws. We've had treaties. They're not going to pass a treaty that commits the U.S. to economic suicide, to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions uh, by 30% below 2005 levels or 80% or 50% below 1990 levels, they're not going to do it. They've already said they won't do it. And so, I, I think the White House has acknowledged that. They're not expecting to get a treaty. They're, they're now calling it an agreement, like the Iran deal is not a treaty. 
but they're they're hoping to get a so-called agreement out of Paris, which will not be legally binding, as I understand it. Yeah, but if it's not legally binding, then that's you know that's game over. If 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 they don't get a legally binding agreement, and and to, to be fair. The, the climate agreement is going to be a little different than the Iran agreement because Congress already pre-committed itself to saying okay unless they can veto it through a, a filibuster. That right. hasn't happened here. Whatever they negotiate in Paris, Congress has had no say on, on what's going to happen. So unless he can get domestic legislation through Congress, whether it's a treaty uh, or just an agreement that he didn't get some kind of binding domestic legislation – all bets are off as soon as the next administration is in power. And anything this administration commits to uh, it, it, it will not go forward. It, it, the yeah. best he can do is what he's already doing, which is executive orders and regulations well, uh, of the EPA. He's not, he's not going to gain any more power at Paris. And if the United States can't act, it's not clear to me any of the other countries that are always looking to the U.S. to act first are going to do much either. Well, I appreciate you giving us that uh, perspective on, you know, what happened in Alaska and what, the, what this ultimately means. Uh, we're about out of time, Sterling. Can you give us, for our listeners, how they can get a hold of your work and who you are? I didn't introduce you very well. Well, I'm Sterling Burnett. I'm a research fellow in energy and the environment with the Heartland Institute and managing editor of Environment Climate News. You can go to heartland.org, sign up for my, news, my weekly newsletter, Climate Change Weekly. And sign up for our monthly newspaper, which goes to every state legislator and administration in the country, uh, Environment and Climate News. We'd love to have you sign up and uh, read our stuff. Great. I appreciate it, Sterling Burnett. Thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. We'll be right back. Okay, thanks. I went long again. Well, actually, I was on time for you, so my last guest is going to have to eat the uh, my overage in minutes here. So, but- Well, thanks for having me on. All right, I appreciate it, Sterling. Great show. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, Visit LibertyOnCall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Today we're focusing on polar bears uh, and particularly, you know, what's really happening with them and what is the truth about polar bears. And so for this segment, I'm delighted that Jim Steele is joining me. Now, we're communicating for the first time. And, Jim, I'm ashamed to admit that I just became aware of your work last week when Sterling Burnett from the Heartland Institute wrote uh, a piece in which he cited 
your work, and particularly, I, I reached out to Sterling and I said, is this a quote from Jim Steele or is, you know, what is this? And he said, no, I got that information from his book. So for our listeners, Jim's book is Landscapes and Cycles, An Environmentalist Journey to Climate Skepticism. And uh, Jim, I appreciate you joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Well, thank you, Maria, for having me. And I understand uh, that I, I didn't exactly quote you correctly in my column, which for our listeners can be found in many, many places, including the Heartland site, AmericanSpectator.org, Breitbart.com, and a variety of other places. Uh, you want to start by setting the record straight for us? Uh, it was just a portion of, of uh, your column that said that uh, quoted me as saying that the current sea ice in the Arctic is, is back to historical standards. And that's sort of out of context. If you go over the last 10,000 years, it's been far less ice. There's been periods of more ice and less ice. So if you look at it within 10,000 years, we're not really out of the norm. And that's all. As it is right now, it's below what it's been since the Little Ice Age. And I just want to make sure that wasn't misinterpreted. Otherwise, I was fine with the quote. Well, I appreciate your grace in that. And tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in this subject. Well, I've been the director of San Francisco State here in Nevada Field Campus for 25 years, and a lot of my work up there was doing research monitoring wildlife, especially birds. And, well, the first thing that got me is I realized it was more landscape that was causing local climate change. And if you look at temperatures, the maximum temperature is actually higher in the 30s and 40s. I started looking at polar bears because a, a lot of my work there was uh, we do mark and recapture studies. You put a, a, a band on a bird, and then you can track it if it gets returned. But it, and then you can also estimate how the bird populations are doing. And, and the polar bear studies have been basically doing the same kind of thing, this mark and recapture study. The, the, the problem is you can do a lot, have a lot of subjectiveness. If you don't recapture a bear, you have to decide, did it die, or did it move someplace where you couldn't capture it? And in the last study that said the bears were endangered, they noticed that the bears were moving all over the place, so most of the time those they just weren't capturing the bears, but instead they chose to say they died. And so all of a sudden you had headlines of these bears dying, uh, sort of to support it. They had these drowning bear scenarios that were, but no one knew if they drowned or not. They just saw a floating bear fit and shot. It, it, it just... If I start to see the way people were misrepresenting biological changes to kind of push this uh, politics of climate change, I just kept getting dragged into it. And the more I looked at polar bears, penguins, pika, butterflies, birds, it, it just felt like it was being misrepresented. And so that's what drove me to drive, uh, write the book. And so where do you see today the, the misrepresentation on polar bears is? If, if you look at the inconsistency in the peer-reviewed papers that get published, and I'm, I'm amazed that they got published, um, you would see that the same people would write, oh, in the Beaufort Sea, sea ice had these 10-year cycles of being extensive and heavy. And when it was heavy, the seals, the ring seals is the primary food for the polar bears. They can't break through the ice. They need breathing holes. They stay through the winter. And, and so when there was heavy ice, there was less seals, and the polar bears suffered. But they turned it around into saying, oh, look, the polar bears are suffering when there's less ice in September. Well, September ice has really nothing to do with it. The polar bears are, are 
eating these ring seals when they're birthing their pups, and they're birthing their pups on the ice between April and, and early June, that's when the bears do most of their eating. After that, the seals are out swimming out uh, in the ocean. They've got studies that show that the more open water, the better the seals do, the better the fish do, and therefore the better the bears do. But it's been totally reversed. And, they, and all those studies are sort of contra they contradict themselves. They say one thing one place and say another another place. So that just, you know, that I think some of those papers should be retracted. Or if they're, they should be investigated in some kind of way because there's a horrible misrepresentation. And if you listen to the Inuit, most of it is the time of the most polar bear. So what is what do you know when I when I did my research to write my column and found found discovered you, um, I had a really honestly I had a hard time finding and much out there in in the way of news stories uh, that said that the the polar bear population had rebounded. What what do the people who are claiming? Uh, that the polar bears are endangered and so forth. What did they say about your work? Um, I don't know if they uh, address it in any kind. I know Susan Crawford has is, is, uh, validated what I've said. It, you know, what you can look at, the, there were two places that they have looked at to say the polar bears are going down. One was the Hudson Bay, the western Hudson Bay, and one was the Beaufort. So what I was referring to about these cycles of heavy ice, that was the Beaufort. Uh, sea polar bear population. And that was a study that was kind of what they used to push uh, to uh, try to have it listed as endangered. In the Hudson Bay, they were predicting it was going down to 600, 500. You know, they saw it drop, and again, it was these kind of uh, dubious kind of mark and recapture studies. But the Inuits uh, then did a different kind of study. They just did airplane flights, and they found that the bears were back to 1,000 bears. And it's, so the studies are there. It just doesn't get the hype in the media. Yeah, and that's that's part of the part of the issue. the The idea of the polar bear has become, you know, the iconic symbol of of climate change, and they they seem to be just running with that narrative. So uh, they it's any kind of disaster, any kind of negative thing. They'll say, "Oh, it's due to CO two," and they run with it, and it's. And that's another reason why I try to write the book, is I feel like science is being denigrated. It's being done by hype and media. And if you then go and read the stories, you you realize the stories are, the the, the science behind it is, is not as certain as they kind of push it. There's a lot of ins and outs that you have to look at. And other places where it's, it's, uh, it's biased in a lot of ways, it, it needs people to kind of respond to it. And so I've been trying to respond to it in media sites. I go to uh, Anthony Watts, What's Up With That site, and post stuff just because uh, I think it has a broader audience. Yes, uh, it does. So I'd, I'd rather post to his site than try to write to a journal because you only have a, a much smaller audience there. And, and there's a gatekeeper effect there. So um, I've tried to get a couple of papers retracted. They were, were absolutely... Uh, bias. Uh, one by Camille Parmesan with butterflies. She said, oh, look, extreme climate changes causes uh, butterfly population to go extinct. Well, 10 yards away, they classified a, a different group as as natural, and they were doing better than ever. The one that went extinct was in a, a logged area, which they got published in, in uh, peer review, and then, then climate scientists used her paper to say, oh, look, you know, a little bit of temperature change might not seem much, but See how it's killing these butterflies. It had nothing to do with it. It had had to do with butterflies opportunistically being in a 
a logged area, and then uh, a change in weather. It was actually a cold thing killed them. They just weren't adapted to it. But the natural habitat was much more resilient. And there, but there's this push of, oh, you know, a lot of the nature and ecosystems are, are so fragile that we just put out a little bit of CO2 and we're killing them. It's bogus. It's, it's really fear-mongering. But I want to go back to a comment you made a few moments ago. You talked about with the journals that there's gatekeepers. Uh, you know, for people that aren't familiar with that, can you address that a little more? Well, um, it, it, in one way you can say an editor is going to say, if you don't address certain issues, then you have to go back and, and fix your paper. So a lot of times a, a study has nothing to do with the effects of CO2. It doesn't tell you that CO2 is it's having an effect or not. But you'll see in the abstracts when people say, well, this could be what CO2 would cost. And, and that's just pure speculation. But in a lot of ways, the editors uh, push that. I, I know uh, a couple people I had blogged on uh, the Emperor Penguins, and some researchers told me that they had published stuff, and the editors were pushing them to put in climate change. Um, and I said one uh, a prime example is, is, is Kevin Trenberth, who's part of the uh, National Center for atmospheric research, and, and they have a big control over how much funding uh, goes out to people who are doing climate change. Well, he, at the end of a paper, he had a cartoon that said, you know, global warming is not the greatest threat to the earth. It's global warming skeptics that are. So it, if you want to be funded, and you know this guy's controlling uh, the funding uh, spigot, you're not going to come out and be a, a, a any kind of skeptic directly. And what you see is a lot of Researchers will say, well, here's this change in the Arctic. We can't tell if it's natural or if it's caused by CO2. Those papers, I think, are a little bit more legitimate. They have to sort of admit uh, this paradigm of CO2 that's being pushed, but at the same time they say we can't tell the difference. And I tend to trust those papers more, and you can pull evidence out of that. It would equally say it's natural cycles versus CO2. But the hype doesn't get – those kind of papers don't get pushed in the media. It's, it's, it's the, the doom and gloom that gets pushed in the media. Yeah, they do like they do like a, a, a scare story, certainly. And then, of course, I, as, as you're mentioning with the journals, there's a, there seems to be definitely a bias in the general media as well. So, Jim, we've got a couple minutes left to go in this segment. And since we're – you know, my focus is, is polar bears, let's go back to the polar bears – uh, for a moment, what was what from from your observation of the topic? What originally brought out the polar bear as kind of the icon of so-called global warming? Uh, it, I'm not sure what uh, pushed it exactly to get everybody uh, uh, excited or on board. Other than the Arctic seems to be a place where you have this um, rapid loss of sea ice, and so they and. But who cares about sea ice? So the polar bear became an issue of if you lose sea ice, you lose in habitat, therefore we can uh, push for it to be an endangered species. And, and I think a lot of it was um, groups like the Center for Biological Diversity, who are the ones that sort of sued to have it uh, listed as a danger, use, are using the lack of, of, of sea ice as a way to kind of push for a, a reduction in, in CO2 and kind of uh, manipulate the whole energy thing. By through the Endangered Species Act, and, and for me, part of what drew me into a lot of this is like, I, I feel like the Endangered Species Act, when done well, is is, is a good act. Is let's stop and think about a win-win situation for us and the environment. But when it gets manipulated by people for other political ends, then it creates a whole lot of mistrust. 
And, and that's what I think the, was probably the most uh, biggest driving force where people started pushing the polar bears or penguins or pikas is climate change is causing the loss of habitat, so therefore we can use uh, the Endangered Species Act as a hammer to make someone not uh, use fossil fuels. Now, the uh, polar bear, they're still listed as an endangered species, is that correct? Uh, they're listed as threatened. It didn't uh, quite go to endangered through the United States. So the United States through Alaska has uh, has to list it through that way. The Canadians, I think, uh, listed it slightly less than that, near, near threatened, I think is what they did. I'm not, I, I forget. They, they have a different agency. And there was political uh, struggle between that. The people saying, how come the Canadians used to be they would be harsher on it. Um, and it, their, their research said it wasn't as bad as I thought. And the Canadians have a much larger land mass that's uh, inhabited by polar bears. Sure, so, yeah. And, and, and the Russians probably have a lot more over there, but they don't have the data yet because that's being uh, fed to us. So it, it's hard to say globally how much they've changed. But the biggest threat to polar bears was overhunting and trophy hunting. And when they corrected that, and the Inuit hunters bought into it and said, you know, we'll kind of make sure we're careful about it. They used to, you know, go get bear cubs for um, food for uh, sled dogs. You know, they cut down on that and made it illegal to disrupt it then. Then the bear population has jumped right back up. Hudson Bay was, it was probably in the 80s down to uh, 400. And then it jumped up to 1,200 once they kind of stopped doing it. And then it sort of settled out. And that's sort of a typical response in populations is they, they rise quickly, then kind of reach their carrying capacity, and then they settle down a little bit lower at, a, at an even level. And it seems like Western Hudson Bay, about 1,000 bears is, is that carrying capacity. And that's really what it's been doing for a number of years. Yeah. Jim Steele, you've been fascinating. We've gone over time. I appreciate you joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. In our first segment of the show, I told you how I decided to go with this whole polar bear theme. And it was because of a message I received through Facebook from Debbie Bacigalupi. Oh, Debbie, I messed that up. Bacigalupi. Did I get it right? Bacigalupi. Very close. Oh, all right. I try. You know, I, I we talked off the air about how to pronounce Debbie's last name, but well, uh, you might like this, Marita. It it actually means kiss of the wolf. Oh, how fascinating for your topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's amazing. So Debbie and I, she sent me a message uh, just last week, right, Debbie? Yes. 
She sent me a message on Facebook, and we had never communicated before, although our our kind of orbs had intersected, you might say. Uh, but we'd never, I don't think anyway, we'd actually spoken together before. But, Debbie, as you and I were saying off the air, and I said to you, wait, 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 don't say that off the air, let's say that on the air, uh, tell our listeners how you and I originally ha- intersected. Well, I think we both have a passion for the truth and getting the truth out to you know, a public who I think just is too busy or doesn't uh, want to pay attention to what is actually happening um, to uh, private property and our freedom and our liberty. And so I was on, as a cattle rancher's daughter in Siskiyou County, we've been on a, a series of wolf calls because we have... Now, when you mean wolf calls, you mean a wolf phone call. It's not like you have a duck call <laughs> instrument and you're calling wolves. We're not is that going, correct? No, it's not, kind of, it's not that kind of call. It's the kind of call where you as citizens are being forced with a new agenda, like the forcing of wolves within your uh, cattle ranching, rural, ag um, territory. And so we were... And yeah, and I've been very involved in that issue uh, with ranchers in New Mexico. Yeah, and I've read your articles. I've been following you. I've been following you on Facebook. And so we were on, um, we as a community of concerned citizens in Siskiyou County decided to do some calls with various wolf experts, people who were fighting against wolves in Wyoming and Idaho, and because we knew, according to the Department of Fish and Game, California Department of Fish and Game now call themselves Department of Fish and Wildlife, because it's not about game anymore, it's about rewilding. And so anyway... I had a, a, a mutual friend of ours now um, on the phone, and together we uh, came up with the idea of doing a film called Wolves in Government Clothing when one of the uh, New Mexico phone attendees, I think it was one of the sheriffs, had mentioned that there were kid cages being built in New Mexico, kid mm-hmm. cages, so that the kids could be protected from the wolves. And so anyway, from that, that started, that launched a really good storyline to get the word out to the public about the truth behind the wolves and what's happening. Besides uh, J.D. King's excellent film, Crying Wolf, and your coverage of what's been going on with this, what we call, it's not reintroduction of the wolves, it's introduction of the wolves. So anyway, that's, yeah, so I reached out to you because social networking is such a powerful tool. And I'm so glad that you saw the, um, you know, the importance of this topic because everything we hear about now is about climate change, global warming, your carbon footprint, and um, and I think if we can get the truth out, the real truth out, you know, our, our slogan is uh, the cold hard truth never melts. And for this movie, this doc- new documentary we're working on. And so, anyway, yeah, and, and let me back. Let me jump in here for a moment. So, you reached out to me on Facebook and said, you know, we we'd like any way you can. I don't remember exactly what you said. I could look it up here. I have it in front of me. But you said basically said we're we're working on this film on polar bears and we're in this Kickstarter campaign and we need some exposure. Is there any way you can help us? Is that more or less what you said? That's, that's it. Like we need help and can you help? And so yes, and I'm so grateful you said yes. Well, you know, I, was, I wasn't going to say yes, uh, because I, I've never done any such a thing. I mean, I certainly am engaged in climate change issues, and, and I'm aware of the polar bear, but, the you know, 
trying to help a Kickstarter campaign. It's nothing I've ever done. And I write my weekly column based on a, a news hook. And that's one of the ways I think that I've been so successful in getting the message distributed. I've got now a really good uh, distribution network that I can tell you on Friday I'll write this and it will be all over the place on Monday. And, yes, it's all over the place on Monday. And it's in a variety of newspapers already as well. And... Um, I, so one of the reasons I can do that is because I use fresh news. So our first guest on the show was Sterling Burnett from the Heartland Institute, and someone, not Sterling, but someone else forwarded to me, to a list of us, uh, an article that Sterling Burnett had written about President Obama's trip to Alaska last, yes. last week. And when I read that, I went it, for me it went ding, 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 there's my news hook. That's what I needed to go with polar bears. So, you know, in all honesty, I felt like it was like God saying, okay, this is where you're going, this is where you're going, because then later, the very same day, I got an email from Calvin Beisner from the Cornwall Alliance, and he's, of course, a friend of mine, and his email said, can you help fund this film with this, you know, young filmmaker, J.D. King, and I'm like, okay, okay, this is where we are going. So it was you, you reaching out to me. Yeah, the messages were coming at you at different directions, it sounds like. Well, we're so glad you said yes. So tell us, Debbie, what's your involvement in this particular project? Well, I met J.D. Uh, back in 2011 when, uh, when we were trying to expose the wolf issue and prepare, you know, and try and stop it into Siskiyou County. And I reached out to him because somehow I stumbled upon or somebody sent me crying wolf. And I called J.D. right away and said, we'd love to talk to you. And J.D. Respond, JD King responded. And then um, we, uh, when J.D. came, so we invited J.D. to come. And we've got him on the closing segment of the show. We'll be with J.D. Oh, great. So we invited J.D. King to come to Siskiyou County, where we're a rural, rural county in, in northern And tell me where this county is. I'm sorry. Oh, you're true, just starting to. I yeah, interrupt true, nor, true northern California. If people say San Francisco is northern California. No, San Francisco is not. If you look at a map, San Francisco area is central, uh, centrally located in our state from south, north to south. We are just below the Oregon border, but we are a, a large rural, once mining, once uh, timber um, rural community, and I'm sure you can imagine what has happened to our timber based on the spotted owl. And yes, I've written a lot on that as well. Yeah, mining based on, you know, some coho salmon or some other non-endangered species in other areas, but somehow now endangered, even though they're planted, um, or hatchery fish. But anyway, we've been dealing with quite a few issues from dam the largest dam removal project in worldwide history on the Klamath Basin or the Klamath River based on junk science that the Department of Interior is, you know, guilty of using junk science to push this, try and push this agenda through. And so anyway, when we reached out to J.D., and he was looking for a new film, we did Blue. And Blue, as you know, covers carbon footprint, carbon dioxide, global warming, climate change. And we had such great success with that film. And when you look at the way... And you were a part of that film, but you were not a part of his first film. Is that correct? Right, right. I okay. just, you know, as a concerned citizen, I just reach out to great people like you. 
and I put great people together with other great people to try and come up with a solution, a remedy to all the things that, you know, the abuses that I think we are, are experiencing from our own local and state and federal government. You know, especially as cattle ranchers. And this whole thing about global warming and our, you know, cows, sorry, I'm going to be so vulgar here, burp and fart and supposedly cause all this methane, greenhouse gas, global warming, um, climate destruction to a fragile planet. Even though we know wetlands create and the ocean also creates methane, but somehow we cattle ranchers are being blamed for destruction. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that they want all the cattle off of federal lands, and, and the reality is part of this whole movement doesn't want want people eating beef well and that's true too but you know what marita as a as a uh responsible um uh person in the ag industry i think it's fair i think it's proper to let the public know you know asphalt comes from livestock byproducts the tires in your car um your sheet rock most of the buildings that are made are made with livestock byproducts so you cannot in modern day uh, society it is impossible to be a vegan impossible if you want to be a vegan you cannot consume and what's consuming using it's not just eating your shoes your leather backpacks you know when you uh, hike the pacific crest trail um you're using leather boots so you cannot yeah. be a vegan and we are being blamed for glaciers melting and the diaphragm. Okay, well, I don't want to interrupt you, but I only got about a minute and 30 seconds left, so I want to make sure you have time to, to get back to Ice Bear. Yes. Well, and, and, yeah, so we are being blamed as, you know, the, 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 the ag industry for causing greenhouse gases and global warming and, and these glacier melts. So J.D. reached out to me because we had such great success with Blue and said, do you want to partner with us? And, oh, my gosh, it is a true honor to partner with a young upcoming filmmaker on a film that is just going to make Al Gore so angry because his pet project polar bears are what are keeping the whole climate change, global warming, um, uh, folklore alive, especially for the young people who are required to read Inconvenient Truth in college, like my alma mater, um, as, a, as a freshman reader. So we want to debunk Al Gore. Um, his hypocrisy, his lies, and of course Obama would have the backdrop of Alaska at the late summer when the you know when there is melt off, and right. you know a prop getting ready for COP 21, which is where in Paris, which is where you know the these global elites want to come up with a climate action plan, and um, and how to reduce the uh, the global warming by two degrees. But the other thing they're not talking about. And I know this because I went to the uh, conference called Navigating an American Carbon World. I'm from California. California is the pilot program for a cap-and-trade scheme, a cap-and-trade program. And what they said at this conference, which was their goal at Paris, in Paris for COP21, is we want to come up with a single price on carbon. What does that mean? A global tax. And Obama had stated back in 2014 to, I think it was the New York Times, that his goal as president would put a single price on carbon and where's carbon everywhere so yeah. this means we'd be taxed for everything so this is partly why i think this this besides getting the truth out but having people wake up and see the truth for themselves and how it's going to impact their lives i hope people donate to this film because there 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 is no other film out there like this being produced 
Well, we're out of time, Debbie. We're obviously going to have to have you back again. But in the next segment, we're going to talk to the director, J.D. King, and give information about how people can contribute through Kickstarter to Ice Bear. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. All right, Debbie. Wow. Quick, quick uh, 12 Gosh, minutes and 42 seconds. I hope, I hope it works for you. If it doesn't, let me know, and I'll do it. No, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And I'll send you an official, shortly I'll send you, you know, official thank you note with the links to everything. Oh, and great. so you guys can tweet it and promote the whole show. Okay, uh, I think I think, it'll be, I think it'll be a really good show, um, and something that you'll want to uh, steer people to. Thank you. So, oh my gosh, and I'm glad it. that you guys are pleased that it's everywhere. Because, oh, it, like so I said, pleased. I really do. I've it's I've gotten a pretty uh, I've gotten a pretty good dis- distribution network built up. Um, I worked. For, I've been doing this for nine years now, and I've worked hard to to get kind of a. I'm not the biggest fish in the sea, but I'm the only one doing what I'm doing. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I'm just you know I, I I'm so blessed. God said you know reach out to Marita. Just reach out to her, even though I was scared, and I was like, just reach out to her. Well, like I said, I really, I had two other things I was going to do. I was maybe going to do wind turbines, and I was maybe going to do lesser prairie chicken. And, uh, but you know, really, I got your thing, and then I got the, I got saw Sterling's email, and then I got the thing from Cal Beisner. It's like, okay, okay. But I had a crazy weekend. I've got, and I've got a crazy, my whole life's crazy. Oh, but it sounds my, like it. <laughs> my house, my house, oh, I should turn off the time. Let me turn off the recording here so my poor producer doesn't have to listen to me. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we've been discussing particularly President Obama's trip to Alaska and the polar bears. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I got interested in this topic because uh, of a a request I got through Facebook from the producer of a new film called Ice Bear, who said, can you help us get some exposure for our crowdfunding effort? And that's what drew my attention to this topic. I had a couple other things I was going to write on this week, and instead, um, because of President Obama's trip to Alaska last week, I had that news hook I was looking for. So now I'm delighted to have with us uh, J.D. King, who is the director of this new film, Ice Bear, and he's going to tell us about the project, the crowdfunding effort that they're engaged in, and a little bit about some of his previous efforts as well. J.D. and I met a year ago in Las Vegas, Nevada, at the Heartland Institute's International Conference on Climate Change, and uh, this is the first time we've communicated communicated since then. So, J.D., welcome to America's Voice for Energy. Hey, thanks for having me on your show. Appreciate it. 
So tell us about the project. And we've obviously in our previous segments been talking about polar bears and, and so forth. But tell us more specifically about this particular project. Uh, the film's name is Ice Bear, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And so what we're doing this time around is we're going after the polar bear issue. I mean, that's the icon of global warming. It's indisputable. You stop anybody on the street, and they can tell you the story. They, they immediately picture when they hear global warming, climate change, a polar bear floating sure. on a chunk of ice, right? That's been used to grab the hearts and win the, the emotional affection um, used by the people, the liberals, and everybody else pushing the climate agenda, the global warming agenda, to um, circumvent the truth, circumvent the facts, like, like a typical tactic uh, that's always used um, by these people. They, they, they bypass the Yeah, I, I often truth. like to say that they're not impeded by truth. Yeah, and, and so what we want to do with this is we want to tell the true story of the polar bear. And and the more I've learned and the more I've researched in the last couple of years, it's just blown me away. Like, sea ice, you know, there's, there's, we have basically the same amount of global sea ice as there's ever been uh, between the, the Antarctic and the Arctic sea ice. Uh, there's, there's um, you know, last year the Arctic sea ice grew by, I think, a whole entire third. Uh, so, so the ice is fine. But then when you really start looking into a lot of these other details with polar bears, it's like uh, it blows you away. It's like there's five times the amount of polar bears today than there were 50 to you know, 100 years ago, five times. Like when Al Gore was born, um, I think there's, it's increased by like um, just, just about that, by like three or four fold uh, just in his That's an life. interesting perspective. Yeah, it is. It's fascinating. And, and then you look at the dynamics of uh, the warmer summers um, the, and, and melting ice. And, it, and, and actually the, the food source, the ring seals, I learned this from Dr. Croc, Crockford, you might have on your show. Um, yes feed better, they feed for longer, they reproduce better during those warm spells when that does happen. And so then you have more seals out there, which is more food supply for more polar bears. And so um, they don't look at the science. They, they cherry-pick numbers and information, and it's all one-sided, and they present that to the public as truth to push a bigger agenda. And so how does your film then is going to play into this? So what we're trying to do right now is we're we're trying to get this film funded on Kickstarter. Like you mentioned, we have two weeks left to go. Um, but what we want to do is we want to interview people like Dr. Crockford and travel around the world, meet with the best scientists out there who aren't a part of the club, right, who aren't a part of the, the little... And are you finding many, many scientists? In my column, I mentioned three um, scientists that, that have, you know, come out saying the polar bears are fine. Are you finding a lot of scientists out there that... that, that basically agree with that message sure yeah yeah there are and they're out there and a lot of them just frankly get ignored like uh susan crockford or ridiculed like she has been um and uh some of them are afraid to really speak up and some of them do try to conform somewhat to to the agenda because that's where the money is i mean you know uh, marita as uh being in this industry how much stuff gets gets pushed uh, you know, environmental uh, policies and agendas and everybody jumping on board because of all the money. It's a gravy train. Uh, sure, I wrote about that last week. I wrote about the uh, the secret anti-fossil fuel network that uh, has Tom Steyer funding, Michael Bloomberg funding, Rockefeller Foundation, and Hewlett Foundation, just to name some of the more well-known sources. Right, and then if you're, if you're a professor at a college, 
and you want to bring in some grant money, guess where it's all coming from now? Uh, if you can think of a way that humans are harming the planet with carbon dioxide, which is, which is not pollution in the first place, you get the grant money. That will give you the best way to get tenured. And so the money from the university level is all coming from this now. Um, scientific level is all coming from this now. It's like if you're a scientist and you want to get a grant to do a study, well, your study better show somehow that you know, climate change is happening and humans are responsible for it. Um, there's, there's no money given out to people who disagree. And so it's totally one-sided and agenda-driven. And that's what you found. For, you've already done some interviews in preparation for this project. Is that correct? Um, I haven't done any sit-down interviews. I've done a lot of research. Uh, Dr. Crockford and I have communicated, and, okay. um, and she sent me links to a lot of other articles and stuff by other scientists. And um, it's, it's fascinating, really, because polar bears are doing quite well. Sea ice is doing quite well. There, there's no reason to freak out, and there's no evidence there whatsoever that climate change because of humans as harming polar bears. If anything, the opposite is true. The public has been completely lied to, and we want to get the truth out about this topic. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because when I wrote my column this week, which in which I talk about your film, and I, and I want to move to the funding of that for you so that we don't run out of time, but uh, when I was doing my research on it, uh, it, w it was hard to find anything out there news media wise news story wise that didn't conform to the polar bears are endangered narrative absolutely it, there's so few and far between and that's why there's such a gaping need to get this out there in a really high quality you know epic and cinematic uh movie in a documentary that we want to do because there is nothing out there like this um I mean, so tell us a little bit about some of your past work that you've had success with so that our listeners who might be potential contributors to your crowdfunding effort kind of have a sense of who you are and what you're doing. Sure. Um, you know, I, I'm 24 years old, and the only thing I've ever done is make movies that expose the truth in environmental subjects. I grew up in Montana, and, and I forgot going with a wolf issue there. I, my first film is called Crying Wolf. I funded it on my own. You can watch it now on, online. If you go just search Crying Wolf uh, movie on YouTube, you can find it. But Yeah, and in my column, I have a link to, I believe it's the trailer for Crying Wolf. Yep. And then that got me going because I saw so much corruption there. And as I traveled around and met Yeah, and I've written on the wolf issue specifically in New Mexico uh, where we're based as well. Yeah, that's a huge deal. I was just down there speaking actually in Taos on that uh -huh. subject uh, and uh, at the Farmer's Bureau. But, yeah, I learned so much about the wolf problems down there. But that opened my eyes to so many other things. I met people like Debbie who's helping me out with Ice Bear, Bachigalupi, and, uh, and uh, she's like, look, you got to do another film. So I made Blue. BlueBeatScreen.com. Uh, it's a film that exposes the impacts of environmentalism in this country and rural communities out west and stuff, but it also does question a lot of the, the larger agenda type stuff like climate change. But um, that's Blue, BlueBeatScreen.com. And then I'm like, you know what? I got to give it a shot at another film because um, it's either like I got I to gotta try to do another film or I've got to try to do something else to pay the bills. So, um, and uh, I, my passion is here. This is what I want to do. I want to get the truth out there about this polar bear subject. It's something that, uh, that to me, is so important uh, because it affects so many different things. It's like once the government can control the environment and energy, as you're well acquainted with, it's like there's nothing yes. they can't touch. And what, the stuff that they do touch can negatively impact, like, hundreds of millions of people around the world. It can make life much more difficult, uh, especially for the poor. And that's something that, uh, that is very concerning to me.
So how can people get involved in in this film? How long is it going to be? You're the writer, director. Give me some more information on this particular project. Sure thing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the writer, the director. Um, a good friend of mine is a co-director. He's done some work uh, for, for big companies. He's a great filmmaker. And then uh, associate producer is Debbie Batchigalupi. She's an activist, a rancher's daughter from California. Uh, if you haven't heard her speak, you really need to. But uh, so we're lean, we're a mean team, and we're, it's going to be, you know, we're hoping hoping to get enough funds where we can make this thing a feature length film, and uh, just completely bury this polar bear and sea ice propaganda. And uh, in order to do that, though, we have two weeks left, and we need to raise about another hundred thousand dollars. We we are. Uh, we're at about 12,000 now. We've got 110 people behind us. Uh, if you go to kickstarter.com and search for Ice Bear, it'll pop up. first. And I've got a link to it in my column as well, which are for our listeners you can read on breitbart.com. You can read it on um, the American Spectator, which is spectator.org. Of course, it's available uh, through the Heartland Institute, CFACT, uh, a variety of other outlets, but I would encourage the, the two easiest ones are Breitbart.com and Spectator.org, and you can read my column on JD's on the polar bears, starting with Obama's trip to Alaska, and then some data on the polar bears from Dr. Susan Croft. Crockford and others, and then closing with a, a request to help J- J.D. with this particular project. And in my column, I have a link to the Kickstarter site as well. But but go ahead, so you can go to Kickstarter and do a search on Ice Bear. Go ahead, yeah, J.D., tell us more. Okay, so I was just going to say thanks so much for writing that article and uh, giving me the plug. Really appreciate it. And, and I think a, a lot of people have been a little distracted lately, rightly so. There's been so much just craziness in the news these days. Um, yes. But this, this climate change stuff is not going away. You know, it's all leading up to, like, this has been the year of years for, for global warming um, advocates, and, and President Obama's trying to go out with a bang and leave yes. his legacy as Mr. Save the Planet. You know, the, the rising oceans are going away. We're going to heal the planet. And uh, this is all, all the stuff this year is leading up to the, uh, the climate change conference in Paris where um, the world leaders are going to meet together and try to come up with um, a plan, an action plan, to crack down on, uh, on fossil fuel use and, um, and, uh, and coal plants, and they're going to try to come up with, like, a universal price on carbon. Um, Debbie was telling me about that the other day, but... Um, yes. I mean, it's yeah, and of course, interesting thing, while Obama was in Alaska last week, they had a meeting of world leaders, uh, those that are involved in the Arctic, and the the key polluters, I believe it was Russia, China, and India, which are always the same ones, uh, wouldn't sign the deal. So, again, you've, you've got this... this uh, issue going on anyway uh, we're about out of time so i don't want to tell us again you've got, we've got about 30 seconds left give me your best pitch for why we should fund ice bear ice bear is going to get the truth out there about one of the most important issues of our day and that's global warming and climate change we've been lied to ever since al gore came out with an inconvenient truth and uh the stakes just keep getting ramped up more and more and more and more and more pressure is coming from the global warming advocate community and they're, they're using sea ice and they're using polar bears even to this day they've been all over the news this year about why we need to get rid of carbon uh consumption in order to save the planet and it's all a lie and we want your help to tell the story great jd king 
J.D. King, I'm sorry. J.D. King, I'm someone in my church who goes by G.D., so I have, I'm struggling with that. Anyway, G.D. King, thanks for joining us on America's Voice for Energy. Listeners, please go to kickstarter.com, do a search for Ice Bear, and contribute what you can to get this important film funded. Thanks for joining us on America's Voice for Energy. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. Learn strategies to protect you and your family in the age of Obamacare. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And some of the work that they've been doing. So Charlie and Bill are